Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson. All right, welcome to another week of the podcast. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. And I'm Sharissa Foley. Oh, welcome back, ladies. How's everybody doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm having nothing nothing exciting with me. Likewise, doing, doing pretty good. Um, we've all been on vacation. Rachel and I have. Charlotte, have you gone on vacation yet? Well, thank you for asking, Sharissa. Why, yes, I just came back from vacation. <laughs> um, I went to the beach with my girls. We um, went to North Myrtle Beach, which is somewhere I've never been before. And it was just sort of a... a um, daughter's vacation with me so we just kind of hung out went to the beach a lot went to the pool um it was an interesting experience I always like of course going on vacation is always a wonderful experience but it's always interesting too when you travel to other cities or other areas of the country and I think especially for me my girls are lighter complected I always refer to them as being light light brown <laughs> and um, it's always interesting to see how people respond to a slightly browner woman uh, <laughs> traveling with two light-complected little girls. Um, sometimes you get some, you know, some second, some, you know, second takes. And I, I thought it was. A, it's always interesting um, when you are getting on and off elevators or trying to go to places. We had a couple of experiences where we were getting onto the elevator at the hotel. And it was obvious, like, they would go forward, and then someone would, like, cut in front of me. And, uh, and it was obvious that they didn't think that we were together, you know? <laughs> like, and did it they was, just uh, think they were by themselves, like, with any, I don't without know. any supervision? They could have at least know. thought you were the nanny or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you bring that up, because when, um, when we were going through security at the airport on the way in, you know, they always, whenever you have kids with you, you know, they kind of send you through a different line or whatever. And, you know, if they're under 12, they don't have to take off their shoes and... Um, so I was going through the line and they went through and then the lady goes, whoa, 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 who are you with? And I'm like, uh, my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It was the weirdest thing. So I always question though, like, am I being oversensitive or am I really having these experiences? Yeah. Um, but the best one for me was when we went through security on the way home, um, Unfortunately, we had a very early flight home. The flight departed, or it was scheduled to depart, I should say, at 6 a.m. Thanks, that's early. Well, yes, and I'm generally an early riser, but I stayed up super duper late, and we were on vacation mode, so I was a little chill. I slept through my alarm. Oh, no. <laughs> we woke up an hour late, so I literally woke up out of bed, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, and you know, I you know, grabbed the girls, and thankfully, we were already packed and you know you know picked him up and we ran out the door but literally like I hadn't brushed my teeth I didn't do my hair you know I just kind of threw my clothes on and we ran out the door <laughs> hot mess city right hot mess city showing up at the airport asking people if we could cut in line so we can get through security to, to get to the gate on time and as we're going through the gate of course I have you know I'm there we're all three going together and I told the guy who's checking us the TSA guy and he looks at me and he goes these are your daughters and he goes they're wonderful he's like they're beautiful girls they look just like you and I'm thinking buddy <laughs> I'm like buddy I have no makeup on and I'm wearing my glasses and my hair is in a bun. I don't even know how you could possibly tell. You get out a picture. You're like, here's my phone. This is what I normally look like. I'm amazing. Yeah. And so then my worst nightmare came true when we were getting onto the plane. Um, 
we saw somebody we knew. Oh, and it was no. like a friend of it's like a friend of my daughter's who lives like a couple streets out. Oh and my there gosh. he was with his wife. And I'm like and so I just made a joke I'm like, Hey, it's nice to see you when I'm not wearing any makeup and I have my glasses on and first people started laughing, but <laughs> you're like, like, It was a hit. It was a total <laughs> hit. Yeah, I just made the best of it. <laughs> oh man. But anyhow, that's my vacation story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> fun times, man. Fun times. Yeah, it was, it was at your expense. Though. I mean, yeah. it was, it's good. <laughs> did you guys get to do the crab hunting? Or we tried to do it, but there really weren't very many crabs oh, on the beach. But oh. we made the best of it. And well, cool. We had a good time, regardless. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like crab hunting <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> Apparently, you do it it is. And they can crawl on your toes. So, oh my gosh. Maybe it's not for everybody. Yeah, Maybe like, it's not sounds, for you. That sounds awful. Maybe it's okay that you didn't know. Right. I'm allergic to seafood or shellfish, so mm. it's probably best I yeah, can. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen once I get out there. Keep so. you safe. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. So this week we're continuing our discussion of the Netflix series, When They See Us. Last week we started talking about the series and we covered um, some questions related to episodes one and two. And this week we're going to get into um, the details of episodes three and four. And just a quick recap for people, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I definitely recommend you go back and listen to that episode first before um, you listen to this one. Um, but really, the series is about the 1989 Central Park Jogger case. This most recent series was released at the end of May, and it's directed by Ava DuVernay. And it's a four-part limited series that really explores the lives of the five young men who were unfairly accused and convicted of the crime in the Central Park Jogger case, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam, Corey Wise, and Raymond Santana. And, you know, in the first two episodes, we kind of see the setup of, you know, them being charged, their interrogation, the courtroom trials, and their eventual convictions. In the third episode, we really see the experiences of Antron, Yusef, Kevin, and Raymond as they're in prison, and then what happens to them following their release. And then episode four really focuses on the story of Corey. He had a very different prison experience, and then we also see the details of what happens after they are eventually exonerated. Okay, so I when I watched it, I was, I mean, I would I kept recommending other people watch it. Like you've got to see this this show, this series. This is intense. You're not going to believe this. And I mean, I I was really impacted by the show, and I had recommended it to a few different people. And two friends of mine who are black men watched it, and the one sent me a text back. That was like, eh, I watched it and it wasn't anything that was a surprise to me. I mean, I guess it was nice that the information's getting out there and, and it's good that the public is seeing how, how it works for like black men and how the justice system isn't exactly fair. And then the other person I actually watched it with was like, oh yeah, like there's something like this that happened in my family once. And I was shocked. Like I know things happen, but I guess you always think they're like, bigger cases or or I don't know I couldn't believe that they weren't even really affected by it. I mean they thought it was sad they watched it they were like oh yeah that's a bummer and they thought it was a terrible case like they they understood the the, the seri- impact of it or yeah yeah but they they weren't as affected as me I think which I would understand because we're coming from two different perspectives um but I didn't know if you guys had had that experience if you'd talked to anybody about it or had anybody else who was like yeah well you know, that's what happens. I have not had that reaction at all. Most people who I've spoken with about the series had the same 
kind of initial reaction that I did being that it was just very heavy and you did watch it in small pieces and and to the contrary um some people who i've spoken with who have had uh run-ins with the law as youth and and had negative experiences they couldn't watch the series because it almost brought back um some some negative feelings and memories so they kind of avoided watching it because it was too heavy so even though they know that that kind of thing happens they they couldn't watch it and they weren't as I don't want to say nonchalant, but they weren't as, um, yeah, you know, about it. So, but but most people um, had a very strong reaction to it. I'm curious to know the people that you um, talk to about this. Are they parents? They are. Because I felt like a lot of my reaction really came from identifying as a mom, wanting to see those kids protected and taken care of and feeling like, they um they just didn't they they didn't have that and that that's where it kind of hit me and i think too seeing some of the things that they were going through like i've had people in my life who have had some of those experiences and so maybe unlike your friend who's like oh yeah i had a family member who this had a similar experience to me i'm like oh my gosh yes i know somebody who's dealt with this before it's so terrible seeing it happen to other people again makes me feel sad I, and I think my friends were kind of like, oh, this is a better understanding of how it all went wrong. Like, not that it was so traumatizing, but like, oh, now I get it. Like, now I see how this mm-hmm. how this um, turned out this way. The Both of them have daughters that they are very close with. Mm-hmm. Um, the one has a son who he's, I mean, who he's close with, but he might be a little bit more removed from that um, situation, maybe. But... So I don't know, maybe that's the difference that with daughters, it was easier to kind of be like, well, they're protected. Like, I'm protecting them. I'm not. But I mean, you have daughters. Mm. So do you feel like it was? No, I mean, when I looked at those young boys, I mean, quite frankly, I saw like my nephews mm-hmm. or other little boys who me and that's what I I mean, it just to me, those are just children that should be protected and cared for and should have never their their childhood should have never been stolen from them in that way. And actually, the one is. Um, a bit of an activist so in that sense maybe he had been so used to seeing things Mm. like this yeah that was one thing that I thought too if it's just kind of like this is the norm you kind of um are maybe a little bit more numb to it than than others who aren't exposed to that as much so I think perhaps those who aren't exposed to this kind of thing on a regular basis it would be more of a jarring emotional response than somebody who has dealt with it you know more regularly than than the rest of us so all right so a lot of the last two episodes are them getting out of prison or getting out of being incarcerated and they really struggle with getting jobs and finding housing and kind of getting their lives back and it was hard to watch because we know that they're innocent or that they get exonerated later Mm -hmm. but even if somebody is guilty and then serves their time in prison like it's still hard, like, they still have trouble getting out of jail and getting their lives back. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, with this in, with this situation, if it was, like, a, a sexually-based offense and a violent crime, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that I would be comfortable living at a place with a child knowing that somebody who would be a registered sex offender would be living nearby also. So I was very torn because I think that people deserve to 
have their lives after they've served their time. Like they've, they, they committed the crime, they got the punishment, they served it. Now they need to go back to their regular lives and they need to be able to function in society and be regular citizens again. But then I was still also like, but I want them to do it away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, is that okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really struggled mm-hmm. with that. I don't know if you guys had a feeling about when people are kind of coming back into the community. So some of the things that you're referring to are the experiences that we saw with a young man where, yes, you do have to register as a sex offender. There are a whole bunch of rules if you're a sex offender about where you can live, if you want to move, where you can go, checking in with your parole officer, um, taking additional classes after you get out. Um, all of these things that you have to do as a con- as a condition of your parole, um, figuring out how to even um, go get a job or what kind of job you can have um, becomes very difficult. Yeah, who, and there are so even, many barriers. And who even works those jobs? You know, right. you can't have another offender working in the same place as you. Right. So, and I didn't know a lot of those rules. Like they were explaining the rules to um, who was it? And was it Antron? Amy Raymond. 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 Okay, Raymond. Yeah. Thank you. When they when he got out and he was trying to find a job, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that was a thing. Yeah. Like, so yeah. there's a lot to consider, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess when I think about that, I mean, I, I agree with you. There are some rules that are in place that are intended to protect us. Um, it, it is unfortunate that they fell, um, that they were basically suffering from, you know, having this label put upon them unfairly, unjustly, and then having to suffer the consequences of it. Um, But I agree with you. I mean, I think there are a lot of places where it does make sense for people to register for Mm -hmm. us as other citizens to be aware of who's living in our neighborhood and who's close by so that we can protect our kids. Um, Because, you know, there are a lot of people who are suffering from some really pretty serious illnesses. Um, And I have compassion for those people. But at the same time, I love my kids and I want to be able to take all the steps I can to protect them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. And I guess the one thing I think about, too, is what what is the intent behind some of the rules that we put on convicted felons after they've done their time, they've paid their debt to society, and they're trying to rebuild their lives? Is our intent to protect others in society? Or is our intent to make it so difficult for them to follow other rules that they eventually just fall back into prison and continue to sort of, you know, fund, you know, this, you know, this this prison machine that we've created in the U.S. Yeah, you see that happen with Raymond. I mean, he tried to follow all the rules and do the things that he was supposed to do, but he ended up, you know, um, getting mixed up in some some bad stuff and he went back into prison. And so because it was so difficult to to reintegrate into society, he, he fell back into the trap of being imprisoned again. And it makes me wonder, you know, what... Our rehabilitation process for these uh, offenders, do we need to change anything? Is what we've been doing, does it work? You know, I wonder, I wonder about all of that. I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, it it makes me think, are we really doing it the right way? Is there a better way to do it? Well, I think if you look at recidivism rates, so people who get out of prison and end up back in prison, it's like extremely high. Yeah. So I think the the obvious answer is no. Yeah. We're not. I mean, do we really rehabilitate anybody i don't think there's any sort of rehabilitation yeah that may be the wrong word yeah i think it's very rare i mean i do think that there are some places where um depending on if you know there's some alternative programs that exist in ohio that actually i think do make a difference and do help people rebuild their lives but they're few and far between 
And I think you have to have like a lot of family support too in, in order to, I think your success outside of, of prison is highly dependent on your support system and your family. So, and then they're affected also because if they want to live with you, right. Or right. If you want to live with them, then yes. they can't get certain housing. And it's really, it's, I know I've, I've read other, I've read other books, um, but they say that a lot of times it's, it's kind of a way to control. It's like, the yes. New, the new Jim Crow. Yes, I mean, is. the book, The New yeah, Jim Crow, exactly. talks about how they're taking away people's right to vote and make that impact. So they're kind of trying to get rid of this entire population of people or their um, ability to be, you know, a, a functioning citizen or yeah. be able to make a difference in um, creating and, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, it is hard yeah. to be a contributing member of society when basically all your rights and tools in order to achieve that goal are taken away from you. Another part of the show that we we watched uh, the Oprah interview with Ava DuVernay and the people that were actors in the show and then also the actual people in the show or the actual people that the show was about. Um, and they talked about how it was almost instead of the Central Park Five or the Exonerated Five, it was the four plus one because the four, like Antron, Raymond, Yusuf and... Kevin. Kevin <laughs> um, went into like like into a juvenile detention center initially, and then I think maybe some of them transferred over. Whereas Corey went immediately to Rikers and was in an adult system the entire time. Um, and it was they had mentioned how he had a completely different experience from them, mm-hmm. and it was heartbreaking. Like I think episode four was the worst for me, and. Yes. I watched everything twice. And when I watched episode four the second time, I cried the entire time. Like I watched it with somebody and he kept looking over and I would just I'd get up and walk away and I'd be sobbing. And it was awful Um, because I think you pick up on different things that happen. Like the first time, maybe something happens and you're like, okay, well, you know, that's just a side thing. But then you really get to let it soak in the second time you watch it. And I don't know if you guys found anything that you that you were really impacted by or something that really stood out for you i know the one part in the the fourth episode where he keeps trying to get closer to home so his mom can come and visit him and he keeps getting farther and farther away like he starts out seven miles from home and then he ends up like 300 and some miles from Mm -hmm. home and he's talking to the one guard and he the guard says you know i don't know if you want to request a transfer because it might take you farther away and he said i think my bad luck's about run out or i think i'm out of bad luck now and he got i think you ended up farther away yeah and that whole time, it's just heartbreaking to watch, like, because he um, he was so young and so naive. Yeah. I mean, he mm-hmm. was an innocent boy, had, wasn't, I don't even think, I mean, he wasn't originally part of the group of kids who even got arrested yeah. that night right. in the park. Yeah, he, he was went friends along with Yusuf, for a friend. I think. Yeah, yeah. He was at the police station to help his friend out. That was the only reason he was there. He was not on their list. And 15 years later... He was the one that got. I mean, he was in the longest. He mm-hmm. didn't get out until they were exo- until he was exonerated. Right. Until, yes. And it talks about how he even had a couple interactions with the person who really was um, convicted of the crime or who really was responsible for the crime, and the DNA evidence showed yeah. that. But it never even came out until after that person confessed. So it wasn't. I think that they, during the show, they acted like, oh, you know, we we finally solved the case, and it was this this other person. Whereas that person came forward. 
and they didn't initially believe them, at least in the in the show, they didn't believe him. They're oh, he's just trying to get attention, you know, 12 years later. Um, and then they're like, well, maybe he was just a sixth person like that, that mysterious sixth person we were talking about where he was really the only person that was tied to the case by DNA. Um, but Corey was still this lost case, like he was kind of getting shuffled around. He was being abused. I know in the prison, I was distraught because they would tell people ahead of time that he was coming in. Mm-hmm. And like, how are you going to how are you going to welcome him here? You know, a beating. Um, so that one, I think, was the. Yeah, I think it was. Um, they did a good job of showing the correction officers who were there to support him and kind of looked out for him and the correction officers who looked the other way and allowed a lot of um, a lot of the abuse. And I mean, he, he was, I think it, it's near death in intensive care at one point because of an attack that um, he suffered. And, you know, I think the other thing that really struck me, too, as he spent this time in prison, you know, one of the things um, that they expect you to do when you go before the parole board for your hearing for release is they expect you to take responsibility for your crime and express remorse. And he was never willing to take responsibility for a crime he didn't commit. And I think that was something that struck me across the experiences of all five of the um, exonerated five is that none of them were ever willing to bend and say, yes, we did this. They all stood by their story consistently the entire time. So much to the point that, you know, by, by the time, you know, these parole hearings were, were rolling around, you know, Corey said, don't even bother. I'm not even going to go. Don't right. even bother to tell me because I'm not going to take responsibility yeah. for something. I'll, I'll do the time. Yeah. But I will not lie. There's no point in going if I'm not going to do what they want me to do. So not, not even going to, Attend, yeah. Do you guys think you'd be willing to do that? Man, I, I can, that's I can, tough. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I either. I'm not. I'm. I think I'd be like, you know what? I need to get out of here. Like I've been almost killed how many times because of this? Yeah, thing. it's like almost oh. like I know the truth. So whatever, I'll tell them whatever they want to hear because I know what you know what I mean. Like, and but like, if you think about it, though, that's what they did at the beginning, and look right, where I got them. Right, that's true. But then also, if he would, I mean. He wasn't able to contact. They show a part where he, um, his mom really wanted Yusuf to contact him and was talking to his his mom, and mm-hmm. she was like, "No, I'm I'm just worried about getting my kid out. Like, I can't be associated with your kid. I don't want them to be. I don't want that to be held against him." But if he would have known their stories, like they still they served their time, they got out, and they still couldn't get a job. Like they didn't admit to things either. So if you do admit to it, like, I mean, you get out of jail, but your life is still ruined yeah yeah so um. so something that i came across as i was thinking about um these last two episodes just something for all of us to think about i came across this this statistic um earlier this afternoon um i think it's the equal justice initiative um eji.org is the website Um, But basically, they they talk about children in adult prisons. And the statistic that they they cite is that there are approximately 10,000 children that are housed in adult jails and prisons on any given day in the United States. Um, And children are five times more likely to be sexually assaulted in adult prisons than in juvenile facilities. So it kind of just hits home for you, you know, that we saw one story of the suffering of one child who got sent to an adult prison. But there are 10,000 other kids in the U.S. today that are 
um, potentially having the same experience. I mean, even with like Khalif Browder, he had a similar, I mean, he was in Rikers as yeah. well as a, as a child who was not, I mean, he didn't necessarily commit a crime either, but like it was never, was he even charged? I don't, I don't remember. I mean, he, somebody said he stole a book bag and then the person that said he stole the book bag or tried to steal the book bag um, ended up leaving the country. And so they just yeah. kind of had him sitting in jail waiting. Yeah, he was he... That's something I have on my list to watch. I don't think he was ever even convicted, was he? I don't believe so. He was in wow. Rikers for three years, and, and I think like crazy. and he wasn't even yeah he wasn't even convicted. I I think I'll have to I'm not for certain, but it was something along those lines or gross in injustice. Yeah. And I mean they like he Khalif Browder was in solitary confinement for a lot mm. a long time. Um, most of his most of Corey's stay was in solitary confinement just for his own safety. Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows him sort of going crazy over yeah. things um, just to try to see, keep himself. He's going crazy to keep himself sane almost. Um, and then I also, another part of the show that really stuck out to me was when he, his, um, he had a sister who was trans and um initially a brother norman and then transitioned to a to his sister i forget what the name was but she was killed while he was in jail and the priest came in and said what can we do for you and he was kind of like no you can't you've never done anything for me you're not here for me mm-hmm. and i remember thinking like it broke my heart because i thought here this like it's almost like this fake sympathy, sympathy. yeah like the one person that really kind of understood him and he he uh, really bonded with was killed, and the priest is like, "What? Well, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. No, you let me get beat and all this other stuff before. Like, you're not really here for me." Um, so I do want to point out, you know, at the end of episode four, what we see is the eventual. You mentioned this earlier, Rachel. We see the eventual um, confession um, from Mateus Reyes who was someone who was actually in prison with Corey, and they actually met each other at one point in time. Mateus came forward. Um, he um, admitted to the crime, DNA evidence lined up, and they they were freed. Um, at the time, Corey was still in prison. Raymond had been sent back to prison on on um, a drug charge, a related mm-hmm. drug charge, but he was also freed because basically he received a heavier sentence because he had been previously convicted wrongly. Um, so he got released, and then um, I think they mentioned maybe in the closing credits that, you know, the, you know, each of the, the five men, you know, went off and sort of, uh, you know, made their attempts to reclaim their lives. And then we see a little bit, too, about the um, the settlement. They did receive a monetary settlement from, um, I think, the, the city or the state of New York, um, which has only been fairly recent. I think that happened in 2013. Yeah. So it hasn't been that long since they actually received that settlement. It was in court for a long time yeah. before they ever got the money. Um, and we all know, I think it was like $40 million. We all know that's just not that much money when you split it between five people and take mm-hmm. out legal fees. Um, they've never received an apology. Yes, the, the the prosecutors, the original people who you know tried the case, the original detectives, they, as far as I understand, have never apologized. I think to this day, they stand by the work that they did. And um, they're not willing to budge when it comes to saying, sorry, we made a mistake, which yeah. I just find absolutely ludicrous that you know you put these five people through all of this their families you know suffered along with them and you can't even give an apology 
so I guess I the one closing thought I'd, as we wrap up the conversation about when they see us, I definitely encourage people to sit down and watch it um, if you haven't already. Um, it is heavy content, but it's definitely worth the time. Pace yourself so that you can get through it. And I think more than anything else, and I, I hope that the three of us pull pull this away from it and others as well, I don't think Ava is just here to tell us a nice story about somebody who overcame you know, an injustice. I think there's more to be expected from us from, from watching this. I think we should all feel inspired to either learn more, do more, advocate for others, speak up when we see things that aren't right, um, and find opportunities for making sure that that fewer of these experiences happen um, with other people. For taking action this week, um, I looked into the Columbus Urban League has a lot of initiatives. And I don't know, you know, wherever, whatever city you would be in, you could check and see what they have for similar programs to help people who are either getting out of prison or just, you know, at poverty or below poverty level. And Columbus has a My Brother's Closet initiative where they have suits that are donated and they do pop-up sales or um, pop-up fittings and stuff where men who are getting out of jail or who can't afford to purchase a suit are able to go in and get a suit for job interviews because um, really making that presenting themselves in a very professional manner. And it kind of helps with, I think, job interviews. They help with questions and resumes. And um, so I had volunteered for that. I put my, I emailed them about volunteering. Um, I haven't heard back yet, but I, I, I should check my email a little bit more. I have 23,000 unread emails. So <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So <laughs> you don't so, tell anybody. Yeah. So I'll look into that more. Um, but I think that it's really important to look into those initiatives. There's tons of initiatives for Columbus Urban League, um, depending on if you want to work with children, like youth or adults um, and how you want to make an impact. But it's just something we'll have the link on the Facebook page or the website, website, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that way, if you want to get involved in um, different community programs in your area. Well, and I think you make a good point. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a super huge commitment. It can be an afternoon of volunteering and helping out um, to, you know, and if, if we all took an afternoon and, and did that, um, you know, it, 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 many hands, you know, lighten the load and make it a little bit easier if we're all pitching in and doing a little bit. And they had, I think, sorting was one. They give you different options on things that you can do as far as, you know, what your work schedule is. And sorting was something. And I was like, I can sort. And so I signed up for sorting. <laughs> Can be done. Yeah, I'm, I'm awesome at categorizing things. So in the news, um, are either of you familiar with Curtis Flowers? Have you heard previous to our conversations? No, I have not heard about Curtis Flowers. Have you, Rachel? I have heard. Um, I've heard the name, but I don't know the whole story. Well, Curtis Flowers is. Um, a man who has been tried six times for the same crime. Um, and for the past 21 years, he's maintained his innocence. Um, and recently, his um, case was taken to the Supreme 
court, um, which, as you know, cases being seen or um, or reviewed by the Supreme Court is extremely unlikely. I mean, it's it's got to be a pretty serious thing. But um, so just recently, his his case was taken to the Supreme Court and his conviction was overturned. Um, and, and the reason why I bring this case up is because it has a lot of similarities to what happened with the Exonerated Five and how they were wrongly accused. And there was very little or no um, physical evidence um, that tied him to the case. Um, and he's maintained his innocence for 21 years. And the reason why the Supreme Court um, overturned the conviction conviction was due to something that's called a Batson violation. And a Batson violation is basically when there is um, proven racial discrimination when picking jury members. And so um, the, the same prosecutor has tried this case all these 21 years, had previously been um, – uh, accused of and it was it was um, seen that he did have a Batson violation in the past. And even though the prosecutor had a previous Batson violation, he retried the case and Curtis was convicted again. So now we're at the Supreme Court level. So it, it's it's interesting, this whole case, um, a, a lot of similarities uh, to when they see us include, you know, using um eyewitnesses and in their testimony, they were manipulated. Um, Nothing was really tied to Curtis in terms of physical evidence. Um, There was another person who was a person of interest. They never actually investigated that person. So there's just a a, a lot of that. And, And it's, you know, unfortunately, this happens so much more than what a lot of us really realize. And, and this man has been suffering for 21 years. He's still in prison because really? even even though his conviction was overturned, he's not been released. The prosecutor is is uh, determining whether they're going to try the case uh, for another ridiculous. time. How's that even possible? It, it is. So here's here when you told the story and you're talking about this guy being tried so many times over the course of 21 years, my immediate reaction is, why do the taxpayers continue to reelect a prosecutor and allow for taxpayer dollars to go towards the same case over and over? To me, that sounds like a really poor use of resources. That's a really great question. The last election, uh, this prosecutor ran unopposed. Oh, yeah. So it's it, the whole story is just I mean, you it, it's one of those things where. I believe it's in either Mississippi or Alabama. Wow. I can't remember the exact state, but um, it, it's it's like we talked before about when they see us. At some point, someone's going to say, "Now hold on, wait a minute, this just doesn't make any sense," and that still hasn't happened. So, if this story intrigues you, if you'd like to know more, this was actually showcased in um, a podcast series um, that is called. Let me get the the name exactly right. Um, It's called In the Dark, and Curtis's story is um, showcased in season two. And they also have a website that gives all the different information. And even the eyewitness that kind of put the nail in the coffin for Curtis has come back and recanted her testimony. Hmm. So it's just rather interesting. I'm hoping that maybe he'll have um, a a positive outcome like the Exonerated Five did. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll see some justice here. And and having the the case and the conviction overturned by the Supreme Court is is uh, is quite miraculous. And and hopefully that that goodness keeps going for him. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely will check that out. All right. 
So this wraps up today's episode of Bound for Justice. Next week, we're going to try to lighten it a little bit. We're going to... Um, yeah, we've had some heavy topics. Yeah. yeah it yeah. really has been heavy. I mean, the, the topic in general for our whole podcast is pretty intense, but... Um, but it's good to laugh. It, it is. And Absolutely. So, um, we're going to review Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which has a... A light view of some heavy topics, and and, there's and we've a already of... started reading and listening to it. Yes, yeah, yes. And now I'm going to have to listen to it because you have told me that the it's actual audio, yeah, the audio book yes. is really, it's really good. Apparently, his accent, I'm sure, is just the perfect thing to listen to. It's excellent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think he's funny, anyways. Like, yes, like before. I mean, even before a story, the story, I was pretty amused with him. Um, so we'll talk about that. Until then, I will talk to you later. It was good talking to you ladies. Hope everybody has a great week. You too. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Bound for Justice. Join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in.